0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets.
1: Hello, everybody. Today, we are recording on June 29th. we got the fourth coming up. Um, things are kind of slowing down a little bit. Uh, in terms of what the market's doing today, it's, it's pretty much flat as we're speaking, you look at the 10-year Treasury, you're sitting at, you know, 3.11, um, so it's, you know, traders, uh, Treasury yields that fell a little bit, as uh, people are kind of digesting economic data and some of the Fed remarks um, that came out earlier. Uh, there's a lot to make of, you know, when we're looking at earnings coming in the next 12 months um, and a variety of other metrics. So, Tim, I'll I'll kind of open it up for you to discuss what's on your mind and what we should be looking at this week in particular.
2: Yeah. So just along the lines of the two things that you mentioned, the Fed and earnings, why don't we start with the Fed? Uh, You know, I think that the Fed and then you I mean, Powell and then you heard from Mester were very clear this week that they do not plan on losing their nerve. (laughs) That as as you do start to see slowing data, whether it be in metals or other commodities really starting to roll over or the sentiment indicators, I mean, it is very clear That financial conditions that have tightened so much are having their effect. But you know, labor market is still incredibly, incredibly tight. And that is one part that they have to get, they have to get to the point where you are seeing some negative non-farm payroll prints, where you're seeing the weekly numbers start to move higher. They are not going to lose their nerve before that happens. And I think that's probably still a little ways off. And, you know, you heard Powell say it this week that you just can't. Lose control. You can't lose uh, credibility. mester made the same comment, and I was reading the economic report that comes out annually from uh, the Bank of International Settlements, which is kind of the um it's 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 sort of the central bank for all the central banks. Uh, it is controlled by all of the global uh, monetary institutions, and they do a, a really interesting economic analysis, and they said the same thing like the 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 federal Monetary authorities all over the world cannot let themselves lose credibility by falling further behind the curve. You absolutely have to tame inflation. Uh, you can't stop early. If you stop early and everybody talks about Arthur Burns and all that, and I don't know enough about Arthur Burns to really talk about him so badly, as everybody likes to do. But like, it, it seems very clear to me that it's not just the Fed, but monetary authorities globally Uh, have got religion that we are not going to lose our nerve and we are not going to stop early. So those who believe that the Fed is going to get to 275, three and stop there and see what's happening. I think those people are, are, you know, wishful thinking. And I think they're going to be wrong. I think we learned that as an important lesson this week. I think the most interesting interview that I saw this week, was uh, there's a woman named Lisa Shalit and she's the chief investment officer for the wealth management division at Morgan Stanley. And you know, it's become a hacky phrase, but saying the quiet part out loud, like I was really surprised that somebody representing Morgan Stanley would speak as negatively as she did about sell side Wall Street research. And because she just made the comment that Wall Street analysts, bottoms up, fundamental analysts are like a deer in the headlights and they have no ability to make a true forecast on where they think earnings are going, and she points out that if you look at the back half of 22, the street is still looking for 10 to 13 percent earnings growth. And she, uh, I, I, the quote that she said, it's horrifying that there is so little proactivity from the bottoms-up analysts, uh, and it calls into question the value their value proposition because it's just not very happy it's just not very helpful. Now, as you know, I've spent the last 6 or 7 years of my life helping to run a research department, and people just need to understand that research analysts are not macro analysts. They are for the most part going to take the earnings estimates and they are going to be right around where consensus is, and consensus is going to be right around where the company wants them to be. If you're if you're a research analyst and you want to make a macro call, and you want to take numbers 20% below where the street is and in the out year, trust me, you're going to have a problem with your bankers. Trust me, you're going to have a problem with your boss. It's just not how bottoms up Wall Street analysts work. If you want to say I'm I'm a little more bearish than everybody else, and you've got a sell, and you've got one of those rare cells, more likely you've got a neutral... Maybe you'll go a dime below the street or something like that. Or if you're really bullish, you'll go a dime above the street. But you're not going to, quote unquote, screw up consensus by having a way out there number that's driven by a macro view, even if that macro view is really kind of hitting you over the head right now. It is no longer, oh boy, that guy's really bearish to claim that he thinks we're going to be in a recession in the back half of this year or in 2023. That really has become the, as I say, the academic or the governmental, the non Wall Street consensus opinion that kind of, of course, we're going to be in a recession. That's what financial conditions are doing. That's, that is the direction that we're heading. That's what Dr. Copper is telling you. That's what the sentiment indicators are telling you. So anybody who's out there saying, oh, the market's starting to look cheap. Well, that may be off of a 230, 240 earnings number. But don't forget, before we went into the pandemic, I think street numbers looking at nineteen were about one hundred and ninety, and generally historically, when you have a recession, earnings revisions are more than more than twenty percent. So that puts you right back towards kind of that 190, 200 number, and then all of a sudden, the market doesn't look quite as compelling.
1: Well, and you even brought up the point in your blog this week, right? It's the Fed's got a dual mandate; they've got one of that mandates way more secure than the other. I mean, you're still looking at labor markets that looked as good as they have since the 60s. On the other side, you have these screaming inflation numbers. Uh, And when you're looking at a Lending Club report that just came out, you've got roughly 150 million adults or 58% 58 of Americans who are in a paycheck-to-paycheck situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, It is kind of amazing that you could be in full employment mode, like we're in, and we are in super tight Full employment, jobs opening, and jolts, and all these numbers—they are still right around the highs, and they are right around, in many cases, all-time highs. But real wage growth, because of commodities, because of oil and gas, because of food prices, and because of rents, um, and 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 when I and, and but anyway, they're still negative. So even though you have full employment, and even though you have wage growth, you don't have real wage growth. And the fact is, is that, you know, we're coming off of a period where you had this incredible wealth effect of rising stocks and rising crypto and rising checks directly from the government. I mean, if there's one thing that economists learned is that it's really stimulative to not trickle money down, but to send money directly to people. Well, people tend to annualize the good times. They they, they tend to believe that holy shit this could last forever i'm i'm really good at picking stocks i'm really good at picking uh cryptocurrencies uh and and yeah i guess i'm a little wealthier because of the government checks but it's probably because i'm doing something right too obviously not the case don't forget as we get into um having to pay taxes for this year you got to pay all of your capital gains from 2021 even though in many cases you've lost a lot of that money in 2022 so I do think that this is one of those situations where it's not just the fact that the fiscal stimulus has been spent. I think that you're starting to see pain and the consumer sentiment indicators, uh, which they do bifurcate by low end, high end, are really starting to show weakness up and down the income spectrum. And as you've pointed out, even people making well over $100,000 in many cases are living paycheck to paycheck. So let's
1: talk about the recent bank stress tests. And you had. 34 lenders, more than 100 billion in assets, the Fed oversees. Um, looking at maybe a combined 612 billion in losses, if we're to look at a hypothetical severe downturn. Um, so number's coming from the Fed. So, I mean, where do we think stress tests are I mean, after 08? There's been a lot of, obviously, credence placed on them, and there's a number that we discuss a lot more. Uh, just, just because of lived historical experience, yeah. uh, and, and what do they look like right now? What should we make of these numbers?
2: Yeah, I, 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 look, this is why uh, the best and deepest capital market environment in the world, the United States, uh, has powerful regulatory regimes because you learn from your mistakes. We learned from the Great Financial Crisis of '08 and you've taken leverage in the system down and the banks are much healthier than they were. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I sound, I know, incredibly bearish and consistently bearish, but there's one area where we are not gonna have a repeat of real potential insolvency of the banks if we do go into a recession. I, I, I tell you, the, the, the interesting dynamic, I was just talking to a buddy of mine who's in the high yield world, and obviously this, the business has slowed down there. There's just much less issuance. You're going through a whole new uh, price discovery process as high yield blows out. You know, Triple B's made new highs, new wides uh, this week. You're really seeing a breakdown in high yield. But the big banks are losing a lot of share to the world, the shadow banking world, the private equity world. You know, so much money has flowed into the private equity world that in many cases, they're taking down high yield deals just all on their own. You don't need to go to a bank. You don't need to go and syndicate it out because some of these shadow banks, the private equity institutions can just take down a lot of these issuances all on their own. So look, it's gonna be a tough year on Wall Street. You're definitely gonna see layoffs. Wall Street was hiring like crazy uh, right until they weren't about, you know, what, six months ago, right up right up until the start of this year, there was still a battle for talent and a battle for competition. Well, there are no more SPAC deals. There are no more cryptocurrency deals. They're losing share on the high yield side. Um, you know, we'll get to the other side of this, but the banks are going to have to right size their businesses again uh, they won't, they're not going to be insolvent like they were in '08, but they're going to have some tough sledding to, to go through, uh, for a little while. And don't forget, we may very well, and I assume we will be looking at an inverted yield curve before not too long. And, you know, that's generally for most businesses within the banks, not a good thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you look at, we're talking about bank layoffs, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they all jumps uh once they brought up the fact that they're looking at broad-based job cuts result they're obviously capex is not going to be as aggressive especially when you're looking at the m&a side uh, we're, we're not going to see what we did especially during you know few years of tech boom and um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. we saw some massive massive consolidation so it just you're just not going to have that level of aggression right now
2: man you, you mentioned you mentioned goldman sachs i mean you know, they're, they're a little bit of the dog that caught the car right now in building that credit business. You know, they built that Marcus, Marcus uh, consumer finance business. Uh, they've grown it real, real fast. And now they're looking at a whole lot of delinquencies because, you know, you grow a credit business real fast. You know, you get some, you, you end up with a lot of customers that you probably end up wishing that you, <laughs> that you didn't have. Uh, so, and, and, you know, we are starting to see that in the auto market, in the housing market, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day delinquencies picking up. Um, and, you know, the guys who were too aggressive in growing consumer credit businesses over the last year, like Goldman was, they're going to get smacked for that. Goldman will be just fine. The consumer credit business is a small piece of the pie for them. And I'm sure just like they've continued to gain share in equities and high yield, uh, that Morgan Stanley and, and 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 Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and the big boys will continue to gain share just like they have been.
1: Yeah, and across the board, I mean, banks added 10% personnel, right, really since the 2020 downturn, and all that just looks incredibly bloated right now.
2: Incredibly bloated. There are people sitting on their hands with not much to do right now. Let's
1: uh, kind of go to, I guess, the big take of the week, which is Russia had a default. Uh, Last time that occurred was with – the czar in 1917 during the Bolshevik Resolution. So actually what happened was that last time that happened, it predated the USSR. So you're looking at a sovereign Russia uh, right around World War One. I. Um, I. I've been surprised with commodity prices. They've been able to absorb a lot more shocks than I thought they would have. Uh, you know, I, I think some people figured they would have defaulted a month or two ago, but it, it's, it's happened now. Um, they have – you know this this grace period. What, what do we make of it?
2: Uh, you know, it all comes down to the resolve of the Europeans. You know, it's so we're we're having this conversation on June 29th, ninth, and it's plenty warm in Germany. Uh, what does it look like as we get to October and November? Uh, you know, and and Russia's really starting to choke the gas. Can Russia afford to choke off the gas? Can Germany and other Northern European nations afford not to import? Russian oil and gas, Um, you know, and and, and then and then you continue to have the the, the grain export issues, which is causing, you know, higher grain prices. Uh, And while grains have been coming in in the developed world, you know, you are going to likely see, unfortunately, all kinds of shortages of grains uh, and real humanitarian issues in the developed world where a lot of Ukrainian and, uh, and, and Russian grains go. You know, the other thing that I think people have to keep an eye on is, if we're talking emerging markets here, is the impact of the strong dollar. Because don't forget, so much of the strong dollar uh, has an impact on emerging market economies who have dollar-denominated debt. So as we go into a global recession... And and you're talking about emerging economies with dollar-denominated debt. That is a big double whammy. And I do feel like as Japan, uh, the you know the 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 yen makes all-time lows uh, versus the dollar. Uh, maybe not all-time lows, but I think 50-year lows versus the dollar. Um, and you see emerging market currencies really break down versus the dollar, and yet they've got debt denominated in in dollar. It just it feels to me like there is a, you know, a secondary effect in a really negative and dangerous effect that could that could make the global recession feel even deeper. And the question is, do you start to get defaults away from just Russia uh, and you end up with emerging market defaults?
1: I mean, I say one of the most interesting things coming out of what emerging markets have considered is that you've got thailand in indonesia and vietnam and several others contemplating as look let's create an acn denominated currency mm. give us one central bank uh you know and and then the you know the uh thai bot and everything else is going to be able to they'll give up independence but they'll be able to absorb a lot more shocks uh when you have situations like geopolitical situations like this that just get completely out of control and i mean obviously that was the case in the late 90s right with the aging banking crisis so i think it's probably well past due but creating probably more centralized banks across swath of these emerging markets might make sense
2: yeah And, and and you know i think that uh the united that's something the united states should absolutely support uh, because it helps strengthen those entities as trading partners, and as we want to uh, diversify supply chains away from China, we should uh, we should be supporting Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Cambodia, all of those countries uh, that are important trading partners of ours to be in even a better position um, from a currency standpoint. And uh, I mean, let's let's kind of end the conversation on what else do you have on your mind, Doc? We're
1: coming in July 4th. Uh, We we won't have a podcast this coming week uh, for all listeners just because it's it's this and Christmas, right? But um, I I think – yeah, that's – what are you kind of looking at?
2: I mean, you know, I I think I'm starting to to look at uh, what is the wealth effect really going to be from the breakdown of – Equity markets and the crypto markets, and more importantly, what is the wealth effect going to look like when housing starts to come in? Because you know that was really what killed us in '08 uh, was the wealth effect uh, post uh, housing coming in, and and I do have uh, a view that look, housing is an inherently leveraged asset class, and your cost of capital just doubled, and it just doubled in a very short period of time. And I know it doesn't feel like it yet, but I have a hard time believing that there isn't going to be a correction in housing prices. Every housing market is local and all that. I get that there will be certain markets that hold up better than others. But when you add that in and you have a housing wealth effect with equities, with crypto, I think that is a real compounding negative possibility that you have to consider uh, as you look out at the consumer and the back half of 22, and really out to 23 and 24. And then, as I said, at, at the outside of this, I think you're gonna see real negative earnings revisions trends. And one thing I said in, in the blog this week is that the market is gonna bottom before revisions bottom, but revisions haven't even really started yet. So we're not, bot- we're not bottoming until you at least have some idea of, of, of where corporate earnings are gonna bottom out.
1: I guess one of the things I'm kind of interested in right now is looking at the confluence of tech regulation and then also like international politics right now. And I think none of that is more apparent than you got the U.S. The FCC commissioner wants Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores. Um, you know what does that mean? Uh, obviously Chinese Chinese platform, but then also what does it mean? in terms of what does this look like for regulatory environment with a lot of these big tech companies coming in
2: yeah look as 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 we look gensler is going to get more active here as people lose their asses in in these cryptocurrencies and a lot of these are frauds gensler is going to have to get more active and as as there is a more acceptance of a more aggressive regulatory environment as you say sometimes that crosses international boundaries and as we worry about and think about the inexorable trend towards some level of deglobalization, you know something like a TikTok becomes a geopolitical football. I have no idea what you know if there's really any data that the Chinese are getting off of TikTok. I can't imagine exactly what it, is. <laughs> but it, but yeah, I mean those become other things to fight about. You know, as we want to crack down from a regulatory standpoint in the United States, and you always do, right? Look at all the regulatory growth that came post 2000, and 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 the the, the tech bubble. Uh, what was it uh, anyway? Uh, and, and 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 the regulatory growth in 2000. We are again going to have regulatory growth, and that will create more political footballs that have to play out on an international stage, and again probably have a compounding effect on the deglobalization trend. All right. Thanks for your time today, Tim.
1: Uh, For all our listeners and subscribers, thanks for your likes and support. And we're out.
0: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.